I certainly want to thank Pastor Matt uh, for just being an incredible leader. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it an amazing leader? Thank God for Pastor Matt. Appreciate you. If, if, if everybody can help me just for a second, I'm trying to get myself together here. Just do me a favor. Just take a step to the right, please. Just step to your right, everybody, if you can. Okay. And one to your left, please. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so nobody can leave here saying the preacher didn't move me. So, uh, so uh, I, uh, I, I feel better already. Amen. So. Um, listen, we serve a God. If he was an average God, he deserved average praise. If he was a mediocre God, he deserved mediocre praise. But because our God is a great God, he is greatly to be praised. What a great God we serve. Hallelujah. And uh, certainly I'm thankful to God for you and my friend and my brother, Dr. Conway Edwards. Let's thank God for him. What a mighty man of valor he is. I've been uh, reading his latest book, uh, reading through it. Can't wait till you get it. And uh, I'm grateful that my latest book is out, that I wrote it. I've been working, working on it for 10 years for pastors and teachers and preachers and coaches and business executives and speakers. Uh, if you speak or communicate in any capacity, this book is for you, communicating on every genre. I just wrote something that was from my heart and uh, just came out a few weeks ago, and it's going to be used at 11 universities next month, next semester already uh, in the communications and education. I'm just amazed. And so I'm going to have some out in the, in the lobby area, North Texas area. If you want to come get one, I'll be happy to sign it for you. And uh, so we give God praise. If you get your Bibles, I want to jump right into the Word of God. Um, my assignment uh, for today is to continue the series, Timeless Lessons Through the Old Testament and from the Old Testament. And so from the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17, I want you to look, I'll be reading from the King James Version uh, today, and um, you see these words beginning at verse 2 of 1 Kings 17. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he did and went according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, verse 7, our key verse, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse seven, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. I want you to consider this thought with me. When God changes your plans, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Say that with me. When God changes your plans, when, when God changes your plans, plans. One more time. When God changes your plans. Um, God in the Old Testament was very interesting because God wanted to rule his people, Israel, 
from a divine perspective. And so God instituted a government that was called theocracy or theocratic rule. Very, very important. Uh, Theocracy, theocratic rule. We are led by a democratic republic here in America. We we are a democracy, meaning God, the, the people, the majority rules. God wanted to rule Israel theocratically. And so what God did, God raised up men and even a woman uh, to become judges who would have the responsibility of ruling or leading his people. And so God raised up Othniel and Ehud and Shemgah and Deborah and Gideon and Abimelech and Tolar and Jair and Elam and Abdam and Samson to rule Israel theocratically. But unfortunately, Israel was like a lot of us. Instead of appreciating what they had, they were looking at others and trying to figure out, was the grass greener on the other side? And they saw the other pagan governments and how the others were led by kings or what is called monarchal rule. And instead of accepting what God wanted for them, they said, God, we no longer want theocratic rule. We no longer want you to rule us. We want a king like everybody else. Be careful and being envious or covetous of what other people have. You may mess around and get it and find out that the grass over there needs watering as well. And so God acquiesced to the will of Israel, and he allowed them to segue from theocratic rule to monarchy. In order to make that a reality, God went to the village of Gibeah and raised up a fellow whose name was Saul, and Saul became the first king of Israel. And after Saul, it was David, and after David, it was Solomon, and after Solomon, it was Rehoboam. But Rehoboam, son of Solomon, did not want to rule the people and govern from a godly perspective. He was uh, unwise and made things difficult for the constituency of Israel. As a consequence, the nation of Israel was split in twain, and the ten northern tribes kept the name Israel. The two southern tribes kept the name Judah. It's interesting because at the time of our text, the nation is still divided, and the king here in Israel is a fellow whose name is Ahab. Ahab is married to a woman whose name was Jezebel. Now, amazingly, Ahab, as a Jew, was brought up to prioritize Jehovah as the true and living God. But yet, he wants to marry a woman who did not worship the same God that he married, the same God that he worshiped. Jezebel worshiped a God whose name was Baal. And Baal, for them, was the God of rain and the God of fertility. And so he marries and forms a hybrid faith that allowed him and the people to worship Jehovah and Baal somewhat simultaneously. Uh, King Ahab must have forgotten that God had once said in an anthropomorphism that I am a jealous God and thou shalt have no other God before me. And so God is perturbed. God is angered. God is bothered. God has a sense of righteous indignation based upon Ahab's decision to form this demonic hybrid faith in God. God is angry here. God is upset here. And so God finds a prophet from Tish, whose name was Elijah, and says to Elijah, I want you to go and I want you to find King Ahab and his Baal-worshipping wife, Jezebel. And I want you to say to them both that because they've turned their backs on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
because they've committed apostasy and hypocrisy, that God is going to institute a season of judgment on the Hebrew people. As a matter of fact, the word was that God was going to allow a famine to come into the land, a famine that would last for seven years. There would be no rain. Crops would be affected. Vegetation and livestock would all have adverse consequences as a result of this divinely uh, influenced famine that will come in the land. And so Elijah goes and says, because you've disobeyed God, for seven years this land will not experience any rain. Time of difficulty. But what I love about it is even in the midst of that divine judgment on the nation, God says to Elijah, because you belong to me, I want you to find yourself in this Transjordanic area and find an area called Cherith. And there in Cherith, I have already ordained that a, a brook, a little ravine, will not be subject to the laws of evaporation. And you will get water from this brook for as long as the famine is in the land. That although the rest of the land may not experience water, may have to struggle to get water, I'm going to make sure that daily you are provided for. And that's a good word for the people of God. That even when the land is divided and there's craziness in the world, that you and I can rest assured knowing that we serve a God who still takes care of his children. No rain in the land for seven years. And God says, Elijah, I want you to, verse 2 of 1 Kings 17, I want you to get thee hence and hide thyself and go eastward and find this brook in Cherith. And what I'm going to do is allow the water from the brook to quench your thirst. In addition to that, I'm going to command ravens, scavenger birds, who are going to feed you with bread every morning and every evening. The ravens are going to bring you bread every morning and every evening. While those of us in the 21st century would appreciate DoorDash and Uber Eats, Elijah had Raven Dash and the Raven Express. Well, every morning and every evening, the ravens provided him with bread and the brook provided him with water. And so for 42 months, uh, for three and a half years, Elijah was re the recipient of sustenance by this brook. God had taken care of him for three and a half years. He followed those instructions and God had made sure that he had supply. Verse 7 is problematic for me in 1 Kings 17. Because 1 Kings says, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. It's problematic for me because the same God who had informed Elijah about the famine, about the brook, and about the birds, does not tell him that the plans were getting ready to change. It's amazing how God has the ability and the sovereignty to change your plans without your vote, your permission, or even our knowledge. Elijah goes to the brook, and the brook is dried up. Perhaps he looks toward heaven, and the ravens no longer participating in the raven dash, in the door dash, in the raven express. God has changed his plans. Now, it's interesting, brothers and sisters, because when we think about God, 
Some things about God are unchanging. God says about himself in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, and I change not. This reminds me of that Eastern Orthodox perspective that says to us as believers, we have to understand a significant dichotomy. Simply put, there's a difference between what is called the essence of God versus the energies of God. The essence of God refers to who God is. Who God is is unchanging. God is dependable. God is what we call immutable, not subject to mutation. You can depend on the character, on the essence of God. Although God's essence does not change, what we also must understand, the energies of God refers to how God operates. And that's where it gets tricky. If we ever mistake the essence of God with the energies of God, it can lead us to significant disappointment. Who God is, in essence, does not change. But how God operates with strategy and plans can. And we have to be flexible enough to say, God, I trust your essence, your character, but don't ever allow me to mistake who you are with how you operate. Because the same God can take you to a relationship, a resource, and a reservoir that you've prayed about. You can be in a place that you know God sent you. And after you've been enjoying that place and found a sense of fulfillment and comfort and contentment in that place, then after a while, sometimes it happens in our lives, seemingly the place that you, that you once were fulfilled, the place that you used to enjoy, the place that used to make you get up out of the bed in the morning and run to it, now it seems that that same place has dried up. And, and, and what happens a lot in my life, when things dry up, the first thing I do is I go to try to figure out what the devil has done. I go to rebuking the enemy because seemingly the enemy has changed something in my life. I've come to tell you that we serve a God who in essence is the same, but through his energies can change, and God can lead you to a place. And you look back on that place a while later and you wonder, why does it seem this place has dried up? You can be on a job that you used to love, that you would show up on Fridays and Mondays before and after holidays, bring donuts on Mondays and coffee on Fridays because you love that place. But now, after a while, the place that you prayed for, the door that God opened, somehow it seems that now it's uncomfortable. The joy is gone. The contentment is gone. The fulfillment is gone. And you're trying to figure out, why does it seem that I'm in a weird, weird place? There are some friends that you used to walk with. They, they were your prayer partners. They were your prayer warriors. But now, sometimes you find yourself, sometime later, it seems like they're on AM and you're on FM and you thought these were divine partners. It could be possible that you could have been married in a relationship. Oh, and when you first got together, you used to ride so closely in the automobile that your silhouettes looked like that was one riding instead of two. 
I mean, that was a time when you enjoyed spending time with them and you enjoyed hanging out with them and, and dating them. And you, your, your theme song was Luther Vandross's If Only For One Night. But now the marriage song is B.B. King's The Thrill Is Gone. What, what happens when the thing that used to sustain you and keep you and bring you peace and bring you happiness, it seems that it is dried up? I've come to tell you that sometimes God would do the unlikely thing of allowing your brooks and my brooks to dry up. And we serve a God who is sovereign enough to change the plans that we used to follow and yet it leaves us in a precarious predicament because I thought I was doing what you said. God, you told me to go to the brook. You sustained me for 42 months. You have kept me and maintained me and now the thing that sustained and maintained me is gone and I don't know what the next chapter is going to hold. I've come today to tell you sometimes God will change your plans. But the question I've got to raise in transition is this. Why did God change Elijah's plan in 1 Kings 17? And why does God periodically change the plans of those whom he loves? Three quick reasons I'll take my seat. Number one, sometimes God has to change the plans of our lives. Number one, here's why, to prevent us from becoming stuck. To prevent us from becoming stuck. Get this now. For 42 months, Elijah, who is a prophet of God, has not uttered one word of prophecy. For 42 months, we have not read anything that's productive or life-giving that Elijah has done. He was anointed a prophet before he was born. He had a prenatal ordination, but yet with all of the gifts and all the anointing, he's in a place that's really beneath his qualifications. He is way more qualified than to be sitting by a brook and waiting on ravens to feed him. No visibility, no productivity. We have no clues for anything that he wrote during that time. Not one sermon he's been given. He's got so much in him, but he's in a season. He's in a place where all of him cannot be fully materialized or even utilized. You know, I've discovered something. You can work on a job and be way more qualified than where you are. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can work and be under the authority of people. And sometimes you wonder, how did this person start the business or become a manager when it seems they have not one clue of what they're doing. Sometimes you can work hard and you're in a season and it seems like you're not climbing the ladder. Social economic opportunities seem to be kind of uh, uh, just, just average and seem to be stuck on the peripheral and the circumferential. What happens in life when there is more in you but you're in a place that seems that you're in a place of hiding. No visibility, no opportunity for growth, no upward mobility. And you may be in a place where you don't even feel seen. Oh, brothers and sisters, I've come to tell you, when you find yourselves, when we find ourselves by those brooks of life, always remember that just because you're not visible does not mean you're not valuable. 
And just because your name is not being called, just because you're being passed up for promotion, just because you're in an uncomfortable place does not mean that God is not working on your behalf. It could be that you're in your subway ministry. Yes, yeah, subway ministry. If you ever go to New York City, you discover that most of the time the subway moves under the ground. And then periodically at certain intersections, it comes up out the subterranean and makes its appearance on the street where everybody can see it on the boulevard. Now get this, just because you didn't see it when it was moving on the ground does not mean it was not moving. God had a distinct destination in which he would allow it to appear but you still were moving the entire time. Some of you may be wondering when you feel like you're stuck, just because you're stuck does not mean that God is not pushing you toward the place where he wants you to be. Elijah, God has great plans for your life, but you need this season by the brook for God to cultivate certain things in your life. Maybe God is cultivating patience. Maybe God is cultivating, uh, uh, maybe God is cultivating character. You have the gifts, but this brook season is a time of preparation. Oh, I never shall forget my grandmother. My grandmother who should make cakes, somewhat telling my age, but she told me that there was a time when they made cakes when ovens did not have lights in the oven. And my grandmother who loves to bake, who loved to bake cakes, she said, that when they made cakes without lights in the ovens, it was difficult to tell when the cake was, was ready. There was no light in the oven. She says, when you learn to make cakes, she said back in that day, we would take the cake out of the oven and the cake could look like it was ready. So what we would do is we would cut the cake. And sometimes when we cut the cake, we would discover that the cake was undone. Now, this is only for people who know how to make cakes and not buy them from Publix. She said that you can cut the cake and the cake will be undone. And when the cake is undone, once it's been cut, you couldn't put it back in the oven because it would be too dry to eat. So someone came up with the ingenious idea that we get toothpicks and we would poke the cake with toothpicks and then put the toothpicks in the cake and put the cake in the oven. And instead of cutting the cake, we would take toothpicks out of the cake to see was there any moisture on the toothpick. And if the toothpick had moisture on it, then we would know the cake was not ready. So we put it back in the oven until the toothpick had no moisture on it. What am I saying? I'm saying to you that maybe by the brook, it is God may put you in an uncomfortable season, you feel like you're being poked and prodded and the heat is intense and you're wondering why you're in an uncomfortable place and why are you going back in the fire by that brook? It could be that God is saying that you are not ready yet for where I'm going to take you. I'm getting it ready for you and you ready for it. So in this season, I'm going to let you stay by this brook long enough but when you are ready, I'll pull you out because now you're ready for the next chapter in your life. You know what? Somebody here today may have gone through a job and you're wondering not whether you're going to stay on that job. Somebody here may have gotten a pink slip that that job is terminating you. And you've been wondering, what am I going to do next? Could it be that God said, I had to allow you to get a pink slip? 
because if I didn't, you would stay in a place that's beneath your assignment, beneath your potential, beneath your possibility. And so in order for me to get you where you need to be, I had to dry that brook. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're saying, I know God has better for me. I'm tired of toxicity and negativity. Sometimes we serve a God who will become our enemy in order to become our friend. And if you find yourself in a place where you've been stuck, maybe God is making you uncomfortable and maybe drying up some things in your life to push you from that place to get you ready for another place. God will change your plan in order to prevent you from being stuck. But two, God will change your plan in order to push us beyond survival. Yeah, here's the thing that got me. To push us beyond survival. Get this. For 42 months, Elijah has been on a place of survival. Can I give you his solo culinary option? Every day, he had water. Every morning, the ravens brought him bread. Every evening, ravens brought him bread. Let me contextualize it. On Labor Day. Water from the book, ravens bought him bread. Thanksgiving dinner, water from the brook, ravens bought him bread. Christmas, water from the brook, raven from the bread, bread from the ravens. His birthday dinner, water from the brook, and barbecued bird food. For 42 months, Elijah has been surviving. The only thing he's had for three and a half years is water from a brook and bird fruit. Now, please don't get me wrong. If water from the brook and bird food are God's absolute best for me, then like Paul, I've learned no matter what state I'm in, I've learned how to be content. However, if God, your plan for me, has some filet mignon and some Chateaubriand, and on special occasions, let me chase it down with some Dom Perignon, then any way you bless me, I will be satisfied. Because guess what? Too many of us have a mentality of surviving. But I believe that God may want to change somebody's plans to move you from surviving to thriving. I believe we don't have to be broke and stuck in order to be the people of God. I don't believe we have to struggle to show a sign of our chastity and our faith and our spirituality. I believe that God is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that's at work in you. I still believe that God will supply our needs and also give us some of our wants. I still believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness Thereof, I still believe if he clothes the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more would he clothe me? If he watches over the sparrow, how much more does he love you and I? Do you believe that God will supply our needs? Now listen, I don't believe 
that everybody's going to be a millionaire. I don't believe in prosperity. This is not prosperity gospel. I don't believe everybody's going to buy an island in some secluded tropical place. But I do believe, I do desire that as a believer, I don't have to go to Six Flags every year for my vacation. I do believe that God can ensure that my children are taken care of, that I have supply and sufficiency. I'm in a good place mentally, spiritually, financially. Am I talking to somebody who believes that we serve a God that can bless every area of our lives? Listen, Elijah has become dependent on bird food. And he's comfortable with it. Is it possible that the job that you're working on is a bird food job? But you're stuck there because you're fearful, how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to pay the car note? How am I going to pay the, the kids' tuition? And yet you refuse to write the book. You refuse to start the business. You refuse to lunch out and do a business plan because you have been stuck in a place of hiding. You're in a brook and you become content there. And maybe God says, the only way I can get you out of this is to upset the equilibrium of your life. And instead of you looking at that pink slip from the lens of devastation, look at it through the lenses of development. Maybe God knew you were tired and was going to give you a six-week vacation fully sponsored by your previous employment. And because God already has a place lined up for you that will allow you to thrive and become and do. I believe that God has some, I can, does anybody believe God for jobs and better jobs? Somebody open your mouth and shout, I believe God for raises and bonuses, unexpected checks, interest and income, health in my body, peace in my home, salvation of a loved one, sickness and poverty must cease, and the devil is already defeated because I am a child of God. So Elijah... Are you going to keep waiting on bird food? How many of us have bird food relationships? It doesn't sustain you. doesn't bring you joy. You're not growing. But it's better to have a piece of a man than no man at all. <laughs> at least this job, at least I know these devils on this job. I can go somewhere else and don't. Let me tell you something. I want you to be encouraged to believe that God always has more, that God can take us from faith to faith and glory to glory. So God says, Elijah, I've got to change your plan. So he dries up the brook. Elijah goes to the brook. The brook is evaporated. He says, here's your challenge, Elijah. Now, verse 8, I want you now to go to a place called Zarephath. Elijah, his wife, because I've already commanded a woman to feed you there. She's a widow woman. So, Elijah, here's your option. Do you want to stay in Cherith waiting on birds? Or do you want to get to Zarephath to get your blessing? Do you want to continue waiting in Cherith for the fowl of the air? 
Or do you want to go to Zarephath where a female has already been anointed? Do you want the cold bread from ravens? Or do you want a hot meal from a woman that you haven't had a hot meal in 42 months? Better is available, but you have to be willing to leave where you were. This is very interesting because many of us are fearful of what's next to the point to where we stay stuck where we were. And we would rather fool around with the beast of the past rather than to imagine the virgin possibility that awaits on the horizon. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Stephen King, the, the, the author, the playwright. Some years ago in the Northeast, Stephen King was taking a walk and taking a, a jog and got hit by a car. And when the police investigated, the first report was that the driver was trying to avoid hitting an animal and ended up hitting Stephen King. But then once they talked to the driver, they realized what really happened. The driver was driving the automobile with the dog in the front seat. And the dog was licking Stephen King, and the dog was licking the driver in the face. And as the dog was licking the driver, and the driver was playing with the dog, the, the man who was driving the car, the person driving the car, got so preoccupied with the dog in the front seat that they end up running over a king. I know married couples is in two weeks, but maybe let me revert back to singles month. Listen, don't get so preoccupied. Messing around with dogs that you end up running over a king. Don't, 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 don't get so caught up with the beast of your yesterday that you end up running over royalty over tomorrow because you are accustomed to negativity and toxicity. It's time to let the dogs out. Who let the dogs out? So the king can come in. And what I've come to tell us is after every cherub, God has a Zarephath. I was talking to a brother this morning who told me, Pastor, I lost my job and I've been kind of down all week. I want to give you a word of encouragement. After every cherub, God has a Zarephath. You may not see it now, but all things will work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. I want to speak over your life, young man, that God has a better raise for you, better conditions for you, better benefits for you. I want you to believe that God has a Zarephath after every cherub. If you believe that, give God praise and give him glory. So Elijah leaves Cherith, he leaves that place of comfortability, he gets to Zarephath, and as soon as he gets to the city, verse 9 and verse 10 says, he sees a woman. Oh, it's first time seeing a woman in 42 months. And guess what he said? He says, ma'am, I pray thee, will you fetch me a drink of water? That's the King James verse. I love that term. Would you bring me a glass of water? I love this woman too because she's a widow woman. But I love her response. I love her response. She says, sure, I'll get you a glass of water. I love her response. This is a good lesson, especially in this uh, day of women's empowerment, <laughs> which I believe in, and advocacy for women. I believe in that. Yeah, I believe you, can, you have control and you have your own say. I believe that. I believe you work hard just like he works. You work 40 hours a week. You, that's a sense. I, I understand all that. But I also believe there's nothing wrong if a good man says, can you bring me some glass of lemonade? 
that there's nothing wrong with going to fetch it. Instead of this, this ring, I bought it. This car I drive, I bought it. What have you done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. I, listen, there's nothing wrong with going to, to get the good man a glass of water. And he's going to get the glass of water, and then he calls back, hey, and while you're at it, can you bring me something to eat? If you just let me imagine, this is where her Afrocentricity comes to the forefront. Wait a minute. Time out. Hold, 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 hold up. You do know there's a famine in the land. You do know that no, there's no vegetation out here. You do know nobody's working. You do know there's a recession. You do know that, by the way, my husband died. Didn't leave me a 403B or 401K. There's no uh, governmental subsidies. I, I, it's, a, it's a recession. I only have enough food scarcity, food insecurity. I only have enough oil for my son and I. I'm going to make this last cake, this last piece of cornbread for my son and I. And then we are going to eat, my son and I. We, my son and I, we're going to eat. Now you enjoy this water while me, while we, my son and I drink, eat this last meal, and then we're going to die. I love this. This is a great picture because she's sweet enough to say yes, but strong enough to say no. Oh, God, listen, uh, listen, because it's powerful because she, too, has not had a husband. She's a widow woman. I'm so glad that in her loneliness that it does not make her so desperate that she goes ahead and makes Elijah something and forgot about her child. I'm so glad she's not saying, I'm desperate. I'm going to go to work while you play PlayStation 5 at the house and eat up all my child. I'm glad that she is strong enough to say yes, yeah, sweet enough to say yes, but strong enough to say no. He says, listen, ma'am, no offense intended, but, but let me just share with you. The Lord told me that he had commanded the widow woman here to already feed me when I was back in Cherry. She said, oh, well, that's all you had to say from the beginning, because he did say that. Yeah, you talking about water and, 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 and some bread. You should have told me what he said, because listen, because the password is God. If you want to get into my space, my sphere, get the password right. We got to be speaking the same. We got to be on the same page. Because if I'm listening to God and you're listening to the flesh, we can't work this thing out. But if God is both our source and God is both the center of attraction, then maybe we got some opportunity here. And guess what? She makes his cake first. And the Bible says and she gave it to Elijah. Because God told her to do it before he got there. And the Bible says that as she made his first, guess what happened to that oil and that meal? God kept replenishing. Every time the oil got low, God put more oil. Every time the meal got low, when you follow God in the midst of difficulty, loneliness, craziness in government, I believe, like the writer said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I don't know who's going to be in the White House next year. I don't know what's going to happen with artificial intelligence. I don't know who's going to lose jobs based upon the economy. But what I do know is I'm a child of God. And God is not intimidated by the world's practices. And God will take, if gas gets to be $6 a gallon, God is going to supply it. If eggs get to be $12 for a dozen, I'm still going to have an omelet because we serve a God who takes care of his children. If you believe it, clap your hands and give him praise and glory.
Look at somebody and say, be not dismayed. Whatever betides you, God will take care of you. And so the oil, the meal was supplied. But then a little while later, verse 14 and 15 tells us that her only son died. Oh, my God. She goes to Elijah, did you, did you bring harm into my family? Elijah says, no. He takes the boy into a loft and he stretches himself over the child. Verse 14 through 17 says three times. My old Baptist grandfather would say it was one time for the father. One time for the son. One time for the Holy Spirit. And he prayed to God and life came back into that boy. But guess what? But if Elijah had stayed at the brook... My third point, he would never have been propelled into the supernatural. Elijah now has supernatural power that he never knew he had. He is given power to bring about a resurrection from somebody from the dead. But if he had stayed in that place of comfort by the brook, the power, the things that God wanted to do, so God had to make him uncomfortable in order to propel him into a supernatural place. You don't know who you are until you've come through discomfort. You don't know who you are. So God says, I have to make you uncomfortable by changing your plans. You're not going to like it. It's not going to feel good. But you have to trust me even when you can't trace me. Because even when I'm changing your plan and changing your relationships and changing your business and changing, changing this about your life, and I didn't tell you, and you got the notice when everybody else did, and you look stupid, and you're wondering, God, why do you let me look stupid? I feel lost. I'm out here. I don't know what I'm going to do next, do next with my life. You told me to move here, and now I moved here to, to, to Texas and not seeing that everything has gone crazy. God, what are you doing in my life? Best thing I can tell you is this. A man went on a, a trip once, and he was a business person. And we went on, he went on the trip. He took his clothes out of his luggage, took his shirt out of his luggage. He set up the ironing board, and he began to iron his shirt. And, and I've got to tell you one community, the strangest thing happened. As the man was ironing the shirt, the shirt started talking to the man. Yes. The shirt spoke to the man. The man is ironing the shirt, and the shirt said to the man, Hey, man! Are you trying to burn me? The man kept ironing the shirt, say, No shirt, I'm not trying to burn you. I'm trying to make you better. You got somewhere to go, and I want you to look your best. And you can't look your best when you feel with wrinkles. So I'm putting this heat on you to get you ready for where you're going to be seen. The shirt said back to the man, well, are you sure you're not going to burn me? That iron is hot. Are you positive? He said, shirt, listen, I loved you from the first time I saw you. I love you so much that I went into the store and I bought you with a price. 
I'm not going to harm you because I love you too much, so much that I paid for you. Why would I intentionally burn you when I paid for you? Man kept buying the shirt, and the shirt said, well, man, how do you know you're not going to burn me? I feel like I'm done. I'm uncomfortable. Man kept buying the shirt, said, shirt, relax. Before I start to iron you, I looked at your tag. I looked at your label. And I saw that you were a cotton shirt. So I preset the iron for a cotton temperature. I, put, I wouldn't put a wool and a linen, linen temperature on a cotton shirt. I know how much heat you can handle. And I preset the iron based upon what I know you're able to deal with. Some of you are in an uncomfortable place and you feel like life is trying to burn you because the brook has dried up and God has changed your plan. I came to tell you something. God is not trying to burn you. He's trying to make you better. God has a better place and better blessings for you. So you've got to learn how to give God the praise in advance and thank God. I never shall forget a few years ago, I didn't know what to do with my life. God came and told me, I need you to leave your ministry. I'd served that for 14 years. He said, I'm sending you to another place. I need you to leave 400 members, 4,000 members to go to 400. I need you to leave 60% uh, of your salary and start over. You say you have faith in me, but you really don't. You're not living by faith. I had to walk away from everything I love, even the house I just purchased for my wife and for my three-year-old son at the time. God says, leave it. I put it on the market. It's sold in three hours. I said, God, what in the world is going on. He said, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm pushing you from your place of comfort. I said, where am I going to live, God? He says, go here. We went by a house and we saw a house and God says, look at it. My wife said, drive back by it. Drive down the street. Drive down the street again. And you know what happened to me? Like that man, my rearview mirror started preaching to me. I had never been so scared and uncomfortable in my entire life. How was I going to provide for my family off of 60% reduction? I said, this can't be good. I thought I was losing my mind. I called my mother. She said, oh, are you really okay? Did you, are you sure you heard? I said, mom, I know what God is saying. And, I, and I, as I was dealing with all these internal battles of total discomfort and total insecurity, I drove by the house one last time, and I looked through the rearview mirror, and it preached the greatest sermon I'd ever heard. A, nine, a rearview mirror. It was a nine-word sermon. It said that when you leave a place of comfort, because God told you, when God changed your plans, never forget this, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but if God is shifting you to a new reality, I came to encourage your objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Look at a neighbor, say, neighbor, I'm praising God for you because your next dimension is closer than it appears. So give God the praise. Give God the glory. It's closer than it appears.